In December 1944, the Allies are on their way to winning the war. Following the Normandy landings, they've liberated much of Northern Europe, including Belgium. But then, Hitler launches a surprise last gasp attack in the Ardennes forests of Belgium and Luxembourg. Henri Mignon was nine years old in 1944, when his village near Bastogne was attacked in the Battle of the Bulge. Henri is a retired artillery officer and an expert in military tactics and history. Now 86 years old, he lives in Bastogne and regularly escorts World War II veterans to the battlefields where they once fought. My name's Rich. I'm British-born and naturalised French. I'm a keen hiker and I love discovering the stories behind the places where I'm walking. Join me as I walk in the Ardennes region of Belgium on the Liberation Route Europe. So here we are in the Bastogne War Museum, which is a big museum dedicated to World War II and specifically to the Battle of the Bulge. I'm here with Henri Mignon. Hi, Henri. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thanks. <laughs> so can you take me back to the beginning of the war in 1940? How old were you at the time? Uh, I was four. I was only four, but I can remember. You still I have, have a confused memory of the battle. What I can remember, that's mainly the, the refugees on the roads, the refugees fleeing in front of the German attack. And I can still remember because for a child, it was something very special. Had on the roads, you had people on foot, by bicycle, uh, on carts, drowned by a horse. Uh, you had cows. Uh, sheep, gates on the road. That was something very special. So where did you live at the time? You lived in a village near Bastogne. Yes, uh, near Houfelis. It's uh, about 20 kilometers north of Bastogne. Okay. Day and night, people were fleeing to the south of France. We also have been refugee. Maybe we should remember today, but two million Belgians fled to the south of France. So, so, so that's your memory. You remember lots yes. of people coming through the village, coming through the house where you lived. Yes, exactly. But uh, surprisingly, I don't remember the German attacking in '40 because they, they were very fast through Belgium, and I don't remember the German vehicles. That's what I can remember uh, with my father, who was a, a forest ranger, mm -hmm. uh, just before the German attack, he shouted uh, us some destruction on the roads, on, on the, the main road coming from Bastogne to the north. I can remember. That's very confused, but I can remember. So the road was destroyed, you couldn't pass? On some places, yes. Okay, okay. And nice did you, you didn't see Germans in your village or near your house? No, okay. no. And uh, they, were, they, they progressed very quickly through Belgium to meet the French army in Dunkirk. <laughs> they were on their way to Dunkirk. So what happened under the occupation? Did, did your life change at all? During the occupation itself, it was rather quiet uh, during uh, the war because we, we had only uh, very few Germans in occupation, usually older soldiers. They were there for the administration of the occupied country. But we had also the Gestapo, the Sicherheitsdienst, SD. But they were in action when there was an action by the resistance. Otherwise, it was rather quiet. And the older Germans, they were rather kind to the population uh, because they wanted to be accepted by the population. I can still remember the names of the two older Germans who were in our village, just Willy and Alfred. <laughs> but uh, they were kind and they could get by in French. They were almost part of the population. So what did they do that was kind? 
What kind of acts of kindness? Trying to give us candy or something like that to the children. They were kind to the population. So your everyday life didn't change that much under occupation? No, we were going to school. But we were, uh, our teacher had two sons who were officers in the Belgian army that had been captured in the beginning of the war and were in a camp in Germany. Then their father almost every day talked about his sons in Germany when he had news. Then we were in the atmosphere of the war. Otherwise, it was quite till, uh, I would say, till 1943. From 1943, almost every day, we had groups of hundreds of bombers, B-17, B-24, flying to bomb the German towns. I don't know whether you can imagine what it is to see hundreds of bombers. Today they bombed two jets, four jets, yeah, hundreds of bombers. So hundreds it, of bombers would come over your village? Uh, f- flying yeah. to, to reach Germany to bomb the German towns. Right. And it was during the day, at night, it was the British Royal Air Force, better equipped for night bombardment than day and night bombers in the sky. And then flying in the opposite direction, you had the German bus bombs, the V1s, self-propelled rocket flying to reach London, of course. I remember the first we saw. It was flying very low with a terrible noise. Once you have heard a V1 in your life, you never forget it. It was a pulse jet, so very special noise. And we very quickly learned that it was dangerous when the engine stopped. It was a sign it was going to crash. They were not supposed to crash here, but there were so many breakdowns, they crashed too early. It was Terrifying. <laughs> Did you actually see uh, yeah, planes crash near your... Then, uh, every day we had V1s flying above Belgium. There. Wow. Every day. And do you remember being fascinated as a boy or were you scared? Scared. The first ones we were scared, then we get used <laughs> to them. That's always so. Then we had the first uh, for everyone. I remember my parents, they were talking about the British. The British will come to liberate us. Nobody talked about the Americans. Nobody that didn't exist. And we were very surprised to have been liberated by American troops, of course. And I remember the, the liberation in September 44. We called that the first liberation. Why? Because the Germans will be back a few months later, Battle of the Bulge. First liberation, it was a great period. The Germans were fleeing. Then the Americans, they were not even deployed. They were in columns on the roads, and we spent hours and hours cheering the American soldiers. They were dropping chocolate, biscuits, <laughs> cigarettes. That was a great period. So they came through the main road in yes, the village today? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll show you the place okay. later where they were coming. And uh, after that, we had a normal life for everyone. The war was over. You had festivities everywhere, sometimes a soccer match between American and local teams. We were the winners, of course, much better. <laughs> we had a normal life, but after school, sometimes we had an additional job. We were purchasing for America, uh, our American friends because they wanted to exchange their K-ration against eggs, potatoes, and so on. That was our job. <laughs> And they had always additional requests. They wanted to have cognac. <laughs> and we were doing the same job for the Canadians. A bit easier because they could get, uh, get by in French, some of them. That it was a great period. Your village has been liberated. And then in December, around December 16th, I guess. Yes. The Germans come back. Yes. And how there how, was, there how was, did you learn about that? How, how did you experience that? There was that? a rumor, and I can very well remember that. Our house was isolated from the village. We had always uh, visitors at home every day. 
And I remember what there were visitors? visitors, people who were working in the area. They stopped to have a cup of, not coffee, of course, it was barley at that time. I'll explain later. And uh, then they said, with my parents, they said, there is a rumor uh, the Germans will be back. They said, no, it's quite impossible. You have seen the American equipment. The Germans will never come back. They were finishing their conversation. We heard the first explosion. The shells were falling. And then they were absolutely scared. What to do? <laughs> Shall we leave? Just like in 40, where to go? Nobody knew, and they decided to stay. Of course, it would have been better to leave, but <laughs> you never know. Where were the shells falling? On your village? Uh, a distance, a distance in the forest, but you could hear the explosion. So what did uh, you do when you decided to stay? Did you hide? Not immediately, no, we were staying. And the, ne the, the next day, it was a, a Monday with my brother. I had a brother, he was 11, I was 9. We went to school. And I remember all my life, the teacher was standing in front of the school and he said, don't be scared, return home. You'll come back later. Yes, we came back almost one year later, <sighs> the longest holiday of my life. <laughs> and then we uh, just uh, arriving at home, the first Germans were there. Just like on a war movie. When you watch a war movie, the Germans we had, they're always arriving on a sidecar. That's characteristic. Two of them on a sidecar, rather kind. They give cigarettes to my father. They could speak French. Probably they had been in occupation in Belgium before. And they said, we promise to be back. Here we are. That was our first contact. So it wasn't aggressive? Not aggressive. They were rather kind. And then progressively will be completely occupied. When I say completely, we had Germans from the kitchen to the attic. They had taken all the beds and we were sleeping on the floor side by side with the German soldiers. <laughs> We've now driven about 10 miles north of Bestogne and we're standing in a field by a road uh, on a hill looking down onto the village of Ufelis where I think about 5,000 people live today. So this here was where you used to live. Exactly. That's the place from which I experienced the Battle of the Bulge. Okay. Of course, it has changed, completely changed. We see all these buildings that didn't exist. And our house, I'll explain, has been destroyed during the battle. Then right. there there's, is there's nothing, nothing left, no. uh, except one thing, we had a well for water. Uh, because at that time, we had no running water here and no electricity, with only a well for water. And the well is still there, there is part. All of, otherwise, everything has disappeared. Our house was here. Okay, and I can see forests around, because your father was a forest ranger, right? Yes, he was a forest ranger. Dazun and I, we had an isolated house at the edge of the forest. Okay, so then when the Battle of the Bulge begins, the Germans come back and they're actually living in your house. Yes, they arrive on this road there. I remember yeah. we met them here, just in front of the house. Then on a sidecar, three of them. The Americans, they were withdrawing. Now, beginning of the battle, the Americans, they were withdrawing very fast. Not to use another word, some of them were fleeing. <laughs> uh, but then we had the first Germans there. And so they, the Germans used your house as a kind of strategic point because it was on a hill, is that right? Yes, and because it was between two, two uh, wooded uh, spots, 
then they organize a kind of rotation to have a warm place because we had no domestic oil at that time, but we had wood. Then we have fire that was, we were not freezing. So the Germans would sleep in your house and then they'd go out, camouflage and, and go into the woods Towards, to, yes, to, to fight? To work to their, their job, <laughs> signal units, I don't know exactly what they were doing, of course. Uh, beginning of the battle, we, to some extent we were lucky because we had been occupied by the Wehrmacht. The Wehrmacht is the rigor German army. They were a bit nervous but had respect for the rules of war. My mother was obliged uh, to cook for them, but we also received part of the food. And they were fair, I would say, nervous but fair. Uh, a bit later, we received an additional SS detachment. Nobody knew anything about organization, but everyone was able to see that these Germans were completely different. Black uniform, very young, excited, arrogant, that they were they weren't even hated by the other Germans. We have been warned by the other Germans not to have any contact with these guys, they are dangerous. I could identify when I studied the battle, and I'm sure you know that division, it was the Second Panzer SS division, Das Reich. That's the division which committed that horrible war crime in Oradour-sur-Glan. In Peacewood, there is a plaque to Oradour-sur-Glan. Do you remember the battle? Do you remember hearing the battle, uh, seeing anything? Yeah, sure. You know, that beginning of the battle, it was foggy, rainy, no visibility. But the end of December, it was clearing up. Anything that moved on the ground was immediately attacked and destroyed by the American planes. Namely, if you know the planes, the P-47, the Thunderbolt, the, some British planes, Spitfires, they were also in action in this area. The Germans couldn't move during, uh, during the day. It was too dangerous for them. The, so they, they stayed at your house? They stayed and uh, they were moving at night when necessary and staying at home. But do you remember the noises the of, of noise, a bombing? Of course. Uh, Till, I would say, beginning of January, it was rather quiet because we were out of range for the American artillery. But when they started their counterattack in January, we were in range. And then the Americans, they were uh, wasting ammunition. They were firing day and night, especially on the woods, continuously artillery fire. And even all the area, you had spot of uh, shells, just like in Ukraine today. They were firing continuously. And harassment, fire, harassment, you fire to keep the enemy nervous and uh, oblige him to hide and so on. That was the American artillery. Then uh, we, our house was hit uh, just on the 14th of January, was hit three times by American shells. And I know because I became myself an artillery officer, they were doing an experimental fire. The artery, you have uh, uh, firing tables, right. you have all the data to fire, but these data are being calculated on a quiet place in the desert of Sun. Then you have to adapt the firing data uh, to the place where you are fighting. And therefore, you start the day with an experimental fire to so, have the data so they, and to correct your timetable, so your they, firing table. They did a test. Test. It was a house. test. And I discovered much later uh, an American after combat report from an artillery unit. They said today we fired an isolated house on the top of a hill. <laughs> That's a shock when you discover that <laughs> yes, we received these uh, shells. Where, where were you? You obviously weren't in the house at the time. Uh, we were at the basement that day. It was the last day we were in the basement, luckily. Because the last day, of course, they were... Uh, 
shall I say, shells falling everywhere. We are a bit scared, and my father decided to go to the basement to spend. So, the in night. the basement of the house, the when, when the house was actually hit by yes, American it, uh, fire, two or three shells, two on the roofs and one in the wall. I, I remember some details with my brother. The next day, we found that funny because to enter the house, it was not necessary to go through a door. We were <laughs> going in and out. <laughs> the wall had disappeared. That was. See, a child, he has a different perspective, <laughs> perspective of the But you battle. didn't feel scared at the time? Uh, no, no, we were used to... Then uh, my father, then we had no running water. And before leaving, uh, the Germans had taken all the water from the well. And then my father went outside to pick up some, some clean snow to melt it. Right. Here somewhere. Because there was snow all to around, To make right? a hot beverage. And the first shell fell and he received a shrapnel in the chest. He could run home, kissed each of us, fell on the ground, he was dead. That's the first death I could see, he was dead. So your father died yeah, in front yeah, of your eyes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He Just was... in front of us, yeah. Oh, wow, so he was, he was hit by shrapnel by in shrapnel. his stomach. He couldn't speak any, any, anymore, he was hit and he fell. And how, how soon after And then did he we die? returned to the basement, praying, crying, whatever you want. And after a while, we heard the hello. So the Americans are there. No, it was an SS with his revolver in his hand and he stood in front of us for a long time. My mother trying to explain that her husband had just been killed and eventually he disappeared. I understood much later, probably didn't want to kill us. He wanted to make sure that no Germans were hiding to surrender. That's my post-war understanding. We returned to the basement. Once again, a hello. That SS is back. No, two American soldiers. They searched the basement to make sure there were no Germans, of course, then became kind, giving chocolate, biscuit. And they explained that our house was ablaze, was burning. We didn't know because we were in the basement. And they decided to evacuate all the family on a jeep. I had two brothers, a sister, my mother, and I was sitting on the hood of the jeep. And we took this road there to the village. And on both sides of the road, you had German prisoners of war. Nobody to guard them. It wasn't necessary. For them, the war was over. They were sure to survive. They were happy. And then my grandmother had a small house in the village. That house had been destroyed in 40. And they had rebuilt a small house for two retired people. And we arrived five more there. <laughs> But we were happy. We had a roof. And then we had lost everything. We, we went out, absolutely nothing, everything uh, has been destroyed. And of course, we had nothing to eat. And we were allowed to go to the American kitchen. It was in the church of the village. And we discovered the American food, very surprising. Cornered beef, chopped pork, pancakes almost every day. But we were happy to receive something to eat, of course. So this was right at the end of the war? Uh, yeah. The end of the battle here, just the 15th, because the Battle of the Birch was over on the 31st of January, when the Germans were back on the uh, border, on the Siegfried Line. There was also a great period, it was after the, the, the war, of course, uh, because we had no school, and we were completely free on the battlefield to play on all the wreckage, the tanks, the planes, because there were also plane crashes here, That was for the boys. It was a dream, of course. No school and all the wreckage available. We had a lot of accidents. I was always with my two best friends of that time. The only day I was absent, when I came back, both of them had been killed playing with ammunition and explosion. 
And next September, very bad news. Back to school. We couldn't believe it. We lost our liberty. <laughs> and then uh, we had an additional day off because the minesweepers came to clean the battlefield. And they knew that the boys knew all the good places <laughs> playing on the battlefield. They paid a visit to the school and we spent time with them showing the grenades, the shells. Right, and that you, was the end the places, of right? my holiday. <laughs> So after the battle, do you have any anecdotes you remember? Yes, I have many, but I, I'll, I'll tell you one of these anecdotes because it's funny. Uh, I, I explained that we were sleeping uh, with the Germans side by side, yep. and the Germans were covered with lies. Consequence, we were also covered with lies. Right. And uh, then after the, the battle, uh, once in a while, we were uh, uh, assembled in the church and treated with DDT, completely white. Lies, right. The lies were killed. But 10 days later, they were back because the eggs were not killed. And then uh, people at that time, many had an oven to bake bread. When the oven was still hot, but not too hot, they put all the clothes inside, very efficient, with the consequence that we were all walking with half-burned clothes. <laughs> it was too hot. <laughs> so, so all your clothes had yes. burns on them. And the topics of all the conversation after the battle, it wasn't so much the progression of the American across Germany, but the progression of the fight against the lies. <laughs> so nearby, I believe, is Peacewood, which yeah. is a place where 4,000 trees were planted to commemorate the American veterans yeah, who came exactly. back on the 50th anniversary, I believe, of the Battle of the Bulge. The birch trees there on the right, mm -hmm. you can see small blocks and plaques. That's the plaques dedicated to the American veterans who came back for the 50th anniversary. It's not a cemetery. They were still alive. They came there with their plaque. And uh, now uh, each veteran was led to history by a child from Bastogne. And you see the symbol. Now the trees have been planted in such a way and with such species that seen from a plane is the logo of UNICEF. Is the mother with a child on her arm, a logo of peace, of course. Uh, red, so, so the tree's been planted. Yeah. If you see it from the air, it looks like a mother and a child. There is a picture panel there. It's a stylized uh, logo of UNICEF. Can you just park here? Yes, park here. Okay. Stay, Great. stop. Stop Great. so you can turn left just after this. <laughs> Okay, so we're now walking in Peacewood. I show you on the way something. Uh, there are three symbols, then the logo of UNICEF, mm -hmm. logo of peace, uh, the shape of the forest, then, then the martyr towns. Okay. And we are in the no man's land. That's an additional symbol. On the way I show you that's post-war to show you that we still have strong ties with the United States. Uh, in 2012, there was a horrible massacre in an uh, American school in Newton, Connecticut. Yeah. On that occasion, a school from Bastogne, in presence of the American ambassador, they have planted 26 trees dedicated to the 26 victims of Newton, Connecticut. 
to show you that we still have strong okay, ties. So the woods is not just about remembering the Battle of the, of the Bulge, it's also about peace uh, everywhere yes, in the peace world. Everywhere in the and world particularly linked you have to Americans. Seen Jerusalem, East and West. Right, uh, okay. So there are plaques all around the trees yeah, here representing the, the different divisions, the divisions that fought in the Battle of the Bulge. Battle of the Bulge. And then yeah. the American part we are going there is over there. We have some more here. To, to Belgian veterans, but also American veterans. But the m most important part is this one, with the plaques to okay, the American so veterans. plaques under each tree, which and represents uh, the, the American veterans who were here on the 50th, on the 50th anniversary, anniversary. Of, of the Battle it's of the It's not a cemetery. Uh, we had contacted uh, the, the Association of the Veterans of the Battle of the Bulge to get information. And then we made the plaques in Belgium. When they arrived, they received their plaque and a child was leading them to their tree. Uh, now, it's not a cemetery, uh, because they were still alive. Of course, since there, most of them have passed away. I would say all of them have passed right. away. But there were very strong links, obviously, between Baston and the region of Baston uh, and America uh, because yeah. of the Battle of the Bulge. Yes, yeah, sure. Mainly because of the battle. Yes. And then, you know, that Baston was made famous by the nuts pronounced by uh, McAuliffe, to yes. the Germans who were asking for the reddition. Uh, I met several times the, surrender. the guy who suggested the nuts to Macaulay. If it's Kinnard, I'll show you his plaque, 164. Okay, so, so the story is that the Germans asked General Macaulay to surrender, to surrender yes. and he, re he replied to them, nuts. Yes, and Kinnard, who was a young uh, uh, lieutenant colonel, said to Macaulay, didn't know exactly what to answer to the Germans. Kinnard said, but your first reaction would be perfect. And uh, Macaulay couldn't remember. He said, but you have just said nuts. It would be funny. And they wrote on a piece of paper from the American commander, nuts. Okay, so this is a plaque this of Harry Kinnard, the, the guy who suggested that Macaulay should He was say a nuts. very kind man. I guided him twice here, years ago. Oh, you, so you knew him? Yeah, yes, yes. Uh, he became a three-star general. He was in Vietnam. He converted the 101 Airborne on Air Assault Division, on Black Hawk helicopters. Oh. So maybe we can talk about that. So you, so you know a lot of these, or you knew a lot of these, oh, yes. these people here because yeah. you have become a guide who yeah. shows people around, and particularly American and, uh, vets around. Each of them has his on. own story. There is one I, I like, Light Cap is not far from here. Uh, he had a, an exceptional memory of World War II. In the States, he was too young and he wanted to become a soldier. He lied about his age. And he was sent to a very quiet place, to Pearl Harbor. He survived Pearl Harbor, came back to the States, joined the airborne units, jumped in Normandy, jumped in Holland, wow. and came to Bastogne. Then he had participated in the four major, uh, events major of, of battle World of World War II. Never wounded. Wow. <laughs> you are lucky or you are. So Another one had also here. a very special story. He was posted on Tinian Island. Tinian is the, the isle. Uh, southeast of Japan, from which they dropped the bombs on Japan, nuclear bombs. Okay. And on the base, they knew that there was a very special bomb, but it was top secret, of course. And each of them, they touched the bomb. Then in his memory, he has touched the bomb dropped on Nagasaki. That's something in your memory. Oh. And of course, each of them has his own story. After the war, you actually became a, a, a military man, right? Yes, I joined the military academy in Brussels. Then I became an artillery officer and I was posted in Germany for several years. 
And then one day our colonel said, very good news, we are back to Belgium, to Bastogne. I had chosen Germany not to be in Bastogne. <laughs> I had to come back. And at that time, I wasn't married yet. Then and you, almost, were post, you were posted in Bastogne? Yes. I was almost every weekend, I was the designated volunteer to accompany veterans on the battlefield. Then I have always been involved in the battle. Okay, so you were still in the military when you started accompanying Yeah, yeah, yes. And then American when I vets. retired okay. in '90, uh, then regularly I was on the battlefield. And at that time, veterans were still rather young. That was, they had still a vivid memory of the battle. They could find their place. Now the last ones, they couldn't find anything. <laughs> what, do you, what do you enjoy about that, about showing Americans and Ameri the families of the veterans, showing them the place where the Battle of the Gulf happened? I enjoy doing that because that I relieve my own experience at the same time. <laughs> and very, that's very uh, discussion and uh, we exchange our souvenirs and so on. And it's important to continue those links yeah. with, with yeah. America because yeah. the region has very strong links. Yeah, it's got very strong links. Because I believe Bastogne actually celebrates Memorial Day. Yes, we have the Memorial Day in Bastogne. I have always attended the Memorial Day. That's a must. <laughs> it's a big yeah. event in, yeah, in yeah, Bastogne. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and so today you're 86 and you've, you're carrying on... Yeah. Yes. Receiving families <laughs> and showing them... As long as I can, that's my life. <laughs> it's been yeah. truly a, a privilege to hear firsthand about the Battle of the Bolt and about your experience. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much. I enjoy doing that. Thank you very much. You're welcome. <laughs> thank you for listening to this episode. The story you just heard is part of a Baston storyline along the Liberation Route Europe. This transnational trail connects World War II remembrance sites and stories across Europe and it comes with its own podcast series. Check out the Liberation Route to Europe podcast to discover compelling stories, biographies and interviews that delve into the history of World War II. And for more content, go to www.liberationroute.com.